Well, turn with me back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Let me give us some context again because we're going to immediately come off of Galatians 2. Galatians 2, uh, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Jews to live like the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Jesus and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners in Christ, then is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Well, we've been spending a few weeks here, and as I mentioned before, uh, there's two key verses here that are really the pillars of the New Testament church, and this is why we've kind of slow down a little bit to make sure that we don't just rush through them too quickly, especially since the book of Galatians is uh, addressing kind of a common theme. And remember in the beginning, we're talking about that true gospel, right? That true gospel. And if, and if there's any other gospel being presented than the right gospel, then it's the wrong gospel. And then that's anathema. Curse be upon you. That's a pretty serious warning. Um, that means that as a preacher, you need to make sure you're preaching the right thing. As a listener, you're listening to the right thing, right? Well, what's the right thing? And so in Galatians, we start talking about, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about, well, how then are we saved, right? And so we, we learn that we're justified. Our justification, our legal justification of being freed from the guilt and the penalty of our sin that is is by faith. It's just by faith. It's not by any of our own works. Well, in Galatians, they're having this, this struggle with the, the Gentiles and the Jews and the, the former Jews who have now converted to Christianity are still tying in this, 
the sacred symbol of circumcision as being mandatory for salvation, which would mean you're justified by circumcision. Well, that would be a clear violation of the gospel. That would be a, a false gospel. And so we see that the, the circumcision then is a form of, of a legalism. And, and then we start to, in our modern day and age, identify with, well, what are some of the uh, some of the warning signs and what are some of the dangers that we might fall into as we look here to properly uh, apply the scriptures for today. And so we see here then that call in verse 22 to identify ourselves with Christ, being not only crucified with Christ, but even more importantly, living in Christ. So that it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you and through you, right? So that idea then of come as you are, great. Sinner, welcome. Come on in. But don't leave that way. Don't leave that same sinful, disobedient, wicked wretch. Leave now a, a, a saved person. Leave now a person justified by faith. And so what does that mean? Well, that's kind of what we're looking at. I was uh, reminded as I, uh, reminded by uh, that, well, it was a book and it's been a play and a movie, you know, Les Mis, Les Miserables. Yeah, you see how good my French is. Um, and it's really a, a, a beautiful story of, of, of the gospel and what it looks like when somebody is just enslaved by legalism and, and that's portrayed by the, the official, the officer, Javert. But the movie's about this beautiful gift of grace. It's, 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 it's set in, you know, it's in France and... And this man, Jean, Val, uh, Jean Valjean, uh, he stole bread and, uh, and then tried to escape. And so he serves 19 years in prison and he's finally released, right? And so he's, he, he's stained from his previous sin. He's, he's released, but as a convicted felon. And everywhere he goes, he has this, this permanent... Um, parole that he has to submit his paperwork to everywhere he goes every town and every city he has to first show that he is the sinner who's been a convict who's been a felon and, and he's guilty and so he he can never get away from his previous crime he can never get away from the shame from the guilt that is going to go with him forever in every single town every single city it's going to prevent him from getting jobs it's going to prevent uh, him from being a part of the normal society and how people look at him, right? Because he's got this 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 stain, or this stain. He he's penniless. Uh, he can't get a job. Um, he really has no hope, and that's where we kind of see him come to uh, his wit's end. And a priest comes along, and a priest comes and takes him, you know, into his uh, his home feeds him, gives him a place to stay. And so in great response to this loving act of kindness, Jean Valjean steals from the priest, right? Goes in, takes the silver, steals and leaves. Well, he gets caught. And so as the local police and magistrates bring him back to the 
to the priest you would expect is rightfully so that the priest would say yes that is my silver and he stole it from me but that's not what happens instead you see this incredible act of mercy and, and grace and the priest you know absolves him and says oh by the way you forgot the best silver and he gives them even more and, and what we see here again is now for the first time Jean Valjean is going to be able to walk through those doors and start a new life he's he's not going to have to walk into every town stained with his previous sin he's not going to have to walk in penniless he can now start over what the priest did, the gracious act of giving him a gift that he didn't deserve, the silver, which equated to money, by not convicting him, he granted him mercy. That was already done. That was taken care of. That, that, that couldn't be changed. Once Jean Valjean walks out the door, the question then becomes, how shall he then live? What is going to be his response not in paying back the priest, but in paying back the act of the grace and the mercy. And, and that's really what we're engaged with when we talk about the gospel. When, when we get into these theological debates, when we start talking about um, you know, lordship salvation, we start talking about legalism, we start talking about well, what are the things we have to do to, to be saved, not to do to be saved, works righteousness, uh, Calvinism, you were chosen, you were already picked anyway, you weren't, you had free will. All these different debates are really uh, a mute point. Because at this point, it's Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. What is your response to that? Is your response to get into some kind of theological argument about exactly how that takes place or is your response going to be how then you're going to justify to continue in a sinful lifestyle what's your response so today we continue our or exploration of of what it means to be justified by faith and not by works and yet uh, to live a life that is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. And so today we want to look at uh, four principles of, of the gospel of, of lordship so that we might live to God. And so we want to look at first uh, understanding what salvation is. Second, we want to uh, look at understanding what lordship means. Third, we want to understand what repentance means. And then finally, we want to understand what carnal Christianity means and so we're going to do that by just kind of jumping around to some some different verses and different passages um, but before we get to that again some some background um, we are in a major theological debate even today with this idea of uh, some people call it lordship salvation I don't like that term because uh, there's nothing you do prior to salvation, um, even even understanding Jesus as Lord, uh, recognizing him as Lord, and obeying him as Lord has no bearing on salvation. It's more lordship sanctification. It's your response as you're being sanctified and growing in the process of uh, discipleship. 
But this idea of lordship is used over 10,000 times in the scriptures. 10,000 times the phrase of the term Lord is used. You think God might be trying to tell us something. If nothing else, just us understanding who he is versus who we are. He's Lord, you're not. In fact, if we want to look at some of our terms, we're the dumb sheep, right? We're sometimes considered the godless, the wicked, the helpless, sinful, ungodly enemies. These are the, the we're, we're goats, we're, we're all kinds of terms before we come to the, the saving knowledge of the Lord. But none of us are ever considered Lord. None of us are master, none of us are creator. We constantly see throughout the scriptures from page one, a call to obedience. There's always a call to obedience. Uh, we see that there's a call for, for sinners to turn away from sin, turn away from worldly practices, turn away from the ways of the world, and then to turn to God. We constantly see that. We see a call to flat out repent. Very simple statement. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Jesus said that. In the New Testament, we see that um, consistently. We see, like the, the gospel of Jean Valjean, this is not a, a, a cheap grace that's just given willy-nilly. And once you walk out the doors, then go back to your former lifestyle. That is not the expectation of the scriptures. Um, we see that there's still sin, and we'll, we'll look at that, but not as, a, as an acceptable way of Christian behavior. Some of the, like I mentioned before last week, the misconceptions of lordship is, um, you know, if, if you're adding any kinds of works, and I want to be crystal clear here, that's not what I'm suggesting at all, any kind of works uh, associated with the gospel, and that's, that's legalism, not lordship. Um, there's no concept of, you know, you have to first clean yourself up and get right with, with God and repent and stop sinning before uh, you come to the Lord. It's, it's a process. You, you come to the Lord as you are in that uh, sin-stained uh, wickedness and through the process of, of grace and sanctification, God will take care of that. So there's, there's no... Im implication or, or imply that, that you're called that you will be perfectly holy. Your goal is to be perfectly holy. Your, your goal is to be perfect. Uh, much like a, an athlete, a, a baseball player's hope and desires to get a hit every single time they get up, but they will fail seven out of ten times if they're great. Um, so I liken Christianity to a baseball average. Well, I am constantly hearing certain phrases that, as a shepherd, scare me, to be honest. I hear things like, well, how much sin can I, how much sin can I commit and still be saved, right? How much sin can I do and still be saved? Um... <laughs> I mean, can't God forgive any sin? God can forgive any sin, right? Um, hey, Christian sin, I see them sin all the time. I can still be a Christian sin. 
And again, it's, it's impossible to be perfect. It's impossible to be holy. It's impossible to, to be sinless. So, I mean, what's, what's the point? Why even try? Well, our response, your response should be, like the scripture says, well, well we're not going to continue to sin so that grace may abound, so that somehow God looks good the more we sin, right? Romans says in Romans 6, 2, may it never be. No, that, that's, that's, that's not the, the goal. Um, yes, the, the, the law uh, is, has revealed sin, but that doesn't mean that we just obliterate the law. Again, Romans says, no, may, may it never be. What we need to do is, is to understand and recognize again that there is a, a, a call for us. Like in Psalms 1, there's a call for us to, to be like a firmly planted tree that will yield great fruit in season. That's our goal. Our goal is not to be like this little wispy little thing that you know a, a strong wind comes by or the river or a trial or a temptation that just gets blown away or year after year after year you go to get the the, the harvest and there's nothing there you you go to look at the orchard and i'm sure you guys have seen orchards and as you drive down to california and you're driving down the five in the san joaquin valley you'll see some orchards that are just dead and dying and it's like what is that it's completely unrecognizable what kind of tree that is. Why? It's got no fruit on it. I'm not a farmer, but when I drive by trees and I see certain colors and I know what that is. Orange tree, apple tree, plum tree, grapes, right? Um, that's the way we're supposed to be. You're supposed to recognize that we are Christians. We are believers. Well, so the first principle that I want to look at and the gospel of lordship is this understanding then of salvation. We have to understand what salvation is. We, we know we don't earn it or work for it. So what is it? Well, I look at John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, right? But will have eternal life. Whoa. That is a loaded verse. That's why people write it down and put it in stadiums. At least they used to. Um, but there's a lot of things here. And so salvation begins, well, it begins with, or there's, there is a God, right? For God so loved the world. And this God is a loving God. He's a kind God. And we saw that in some of our hymns. God loves us. God loves people. How? That he gave his only begotten son. He gave up his son. God loved us and sent us his sons, First John says. The creator of the universe then has this amazing plan of salvation, of giving up his son for his people because he so loved the world. We see in Luke 9.56 that the son of man, Jesus didn't come to destroy the world Instead, he came to save the lives of men. The point and the purpose of Jesus' coming to earth was to seek to save the lives of men, not to destroy. Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What a great picture that is. 
What a great picture. Because we didn't seek him. We're down here doing our thing, right? And it's Jesus who came down and sought us out. To seek us out. And then, and then to save us as well. We don't even know we're in danger. We don't even know we're in peril. We don't, we don't know that we're literally hanging and dangling on the edge of the cliff by a fingertip, waiting to fall to our death and eternal destruction. And he walks over and picks us up after seeking us out to save us. This is the kind of, of God we have. This is the principle then of lordship. of This Lord is a saving Lord. Which again is a different picture than for us, especially us probably growing up just seeing kings and lords on TV and movies and stuff. And they're always the tyrants. They're always the bad guy. They're always the one abusing the people, right? And this is a completely different kind of Lord. This is a saving Lord. And there's a need. There's a need for this Lord to save. There's a need for salvation. And that's part of the problem today is a lot of people don't realize that they need a savior. They think they're okay. The scriptures, again, are very clear. And and when we talk about being justified before the throne of God in in righteousness, there's none righteous. Romans 3.10 is very clear. No, not one. How many? Study the Greek a long time. It's going to be none. It's going to be zero. There's not one. Not one of you, not one of me, not one of anybody. And there's consequences to this sin. There's consequences to disobedience. This is why, again, for parents to, to model the, 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 the pattern of, of you have a rule. When you break the rule, there's a consequence for sin and disobedience. That, that should be expected. Most people understand that when you break a law, when you break a rule, there's going to be a consequence. That's why they run and hide. That's why they do it in secret, right? Well, the consequence for sin, Romans 6.23, is eternal death. That's scary. We know that the source, there's only one source. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. There are not 25 different religions and 150 different ways to find Jesus. And your way is fine for you and your path is okay. It's all going to be good. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work that way. I mentioned it last week. Christianity and the reason why it's so offensive to people and they seem to realize it even more than we do is because it's exclusive. We are claiming to be very exclusive. It's the Bible's way or the highway. That's why they don't like it. Because we're not saying, oh no, a little of this, a little of that. We're, we're not a quilt of religions. Okay, it's, it's just one, one way. And, he, and Jesus is the source of that way. And Jesus and God demonstrates their love for us, Romans 5, that while we were sinful, helpless, ungodly enemies, that's when he died for us. Not when we were good, not when we were trying to seek him, not when we were trying to make a change in our life, No. At, a, at our worst point of sin. And that source, that source of salvation, we want to know what the gospel of lordship is and understanding s- salvation. The source and the provision, again, is, is Romans or, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Romans 2, 8, and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's not yours, it's a gift of God. It, the scriptures cannot be any clearer. 
Romans 5, 15 through 21. It's through Jesus' gracious act that results in our justification. It's, it's pure grace, pure grace, a pure gift. There's nothing about salvation. There's nothing in the scriptures that indicates um, that it's by anything that we did. So in that, that means we're, we're totally at the mercy of, of God. I can't fix it. I can't make it right. I can't make it right for my kids as much as I would. Remember, Paul says, if I could, if I could die for the entire nation of Israel, I would do it to save them. You can't do it. Paul couldn't do it. You can't do it for your kids, for your family, for your your country. It's only through Jesus. And there's nothing then that we see that the response to this act by Jesus is for us to then go out and just live in complete freedom and liberty to do whatever we want. We, we don't see that. Well, the second principle of the gospel of lordship is an understanding of then what lordship means. Well, Lord doesn't only refer to the, the kingly crown or the reign of Jesus. It also has something to do with the deity of Jesus as well. And so we, we see this in the triune Godhead, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that there's that Jesus is, is Lord and in that he's also God. We see this laid out a little bit better in Revelation. The book of Revelation, while we get caught up in a lot of the end times, we tend to, to forget that in the first sentence of the book of Revelation, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That This book is going to reveal who Jesus is, and it's almost perfect thirds that it reveals Jesus to be the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, the substitutionary um, sacrifice for our sin is throughout um, uh, Revelation. Remember the, the seals, who is worthy to break the seal? It's not the king, it's the Lamb of God. We also see that Jesus is described as, as God, the, the God-man. And then we see Jesus described as the king. He is then going to be that coming king, returning on the charger, taking back his kingdom, and he will defeat the enemy. So that's a, a, a part of his, his, what lordship is with Jesus. The Greek term kurios also carries authority. There's no lordship without authority. That, that's just, that, that doesn't exist. And it carries, and quite often, especially in the Old Testament, that authority that's synonymous, as I said, with, with the deity. Uh, so this is a, a powerful authority. This isn't just like a, a governmental agency kind of authority. This isn't just like the authority of a coach or a teacher, uh, a parent or a boss. Right. This this is goes from kingship also to uh, the Godhead, and so lordship then has that idea of complete and full uh, master. He is the master. One of my favorite terms for uh, for God is the Almighty, right? Because He's Almighty. It's a great name, and we don't use it a lot. So it's shall I can I say not played out. Like Lord, 
We've said Lord so many times, we don't even know what it means. We don't even really fully absorb and understand that that means I have a response to my Lord, which probably should begin with me on my hands and knees, face down, in submission before the king, who has every right to kill me and strike me down for the sins that I've committed against him. That's probably how I should first think of my Lord. Now, I don't want you guys to think I'm too harsh. He is our Savior. He is our friend. And so, yes, we we love him and we identify him. But we, we need to make sure that we don't take his rule and authority for granted. And so uh, the second principle of lordship is understanding that, that lordship does have that idea of ruler, even as the idea of owner and the relationship between owner and slave. That's why Romans says we are slaves to righteousness. Now, we are slaves to obedience. Why? Because we're under our Lord's authority and rule. And in that includes following him. We humble ourselves before him and then we follow him. We humble ourselves before the scriptures, not always completely understanding God's ways because God's ways are not our ways. So when you're at that crossroads and you're not quite sure what to do with it, you know what you do? You fight him and you do what you want to do. No, no, you humbly submit. You yield before your master. You yield before the word of God. Um, Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Can a saved person really say, you know what? I believe Jesus is God. But I'm not going to submit to his ways. I'm, I'm, he's not going to have any authority over my life. He's not going to have any real influence over me. And again, if, if it becomes between me and God, and there's a crossroads, well, I'm going to go with me. Does that, does that sound like the mark of a, of a saved person? A person who understands what lordship is? Keep this in mind, James 2.19. Um, Even the demons believe God is one and shudder. I would even say it this way. The demons know Jesus is God. We we live by faith. They know. And they shudder and they don't follow. So just the knowledge, just the saying, I believe Jesus is God, doesn't quite do it, does it? Mm Mm-mm. Well, the third principle of the gospel of lordship is understanding repentance. Understand repentance. And we really struggle with this today. We struggle with this idea that we, that we really need to stop being and doing who we were. That's just me, right? Isn't that our say? Well, that, that's just me. I, I've, I've lived this way a long time. Uh, Susan and I were talking about uh, something I think it was this morning. It's like, well... Do you really think they would change now? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that's, it's hard to change, right? It's hard to change. I'm sure if you asked my dad, he would, he, it would probably make him chuckle. And even my, my aunt who grew up with me would say, oh yeah, there, there's still some, some things in him that I remember when he was this tall, right? Now, yes, but I would hope that they would also say, yeah, but there's a, 
this is a different kid now. This is a different man. And this is definitely, we can see a transformed life. We can, we can see fruit. We can see the difference. So we don't, we don't get to have this excuse of, well, you know, yeah, that's just me. The idea of repentance has the idea of, of turning around, of, of taking an about face. So when Jesus walks into town and says, hey, first things first, repent. I, he doesn't even know who you are. You know what he knows? He knows you're sinful. I don't need, I don't know, I don't need to know all that there is to know about you, but I could, I could feel pretty good about saying, you know what, you need to repent. There's, there's stuff going on in your life that you need to change today. Why? Because you want to please your God. Because you know what the scriptures say and, and you're not doing it. You're not humbling yourself to it. You're not being obedient to it. Um, and there's going to be some stuff that, you know what, that you're, you're grinding through and, and fighting through that. And you are trying to repent. And in some ways you are repenting. That, that's good. That's great. And so the idea of, a, of repentance is that that person that, that re, is regretful of the things they're doing. And they acknowledge it as sin. We don't personally acknowledge anything anymore today in the world, right? It's always somebody else's fault. Oh, it was the way I was brought up. It was my parents' fault. Oh, it was my community's fault. Oh, it was money's fault. Oh, it was this guy, he cheated me. Oh, it was, it's always somebody else's fault. And you have to, part of repentance is, is acknowledging that, that this act wasn't just foolishness. It wasn't just nonsense. It wasn't just like a mistake. This was sin. And I need to change and I regret that I did it and I acknowledge it and I'm going to commit myself to trying to stop this. Matthew 4:17 Jesus says turn away turn away repent from your sins. One of my favorite verses Luke 15:10 and it has that idea of what happens in heaven when when people come to the Lord, right? Uh, because what happens in heaven when people uh, repent is there's joy in the heavens. The angels go crazy. You know, I picture like a stadium, you know, football stadium, baseball stadium, when there's a, a touchdown. Everybody, ah, right? And it's like, we finally, you know, got Arden to repent. Ah, right? And they all just start going crazy. Because it's so rare. No, it's because it's they're so excited about that are you excited about repenting you wake up in the morning you list your goals goal one repent this would be a great day if i could repent this would be a great summer if i changed this is that even on the agenda at all and knowing that as you do that when you do that there's angels in heaven and probably the person sitting next to you that's like yes finally well, that's how excited God gets when we repent. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that, that we need to turn from our sinful ways, that that needs to be part of our daily agenda. Second Chronicles 7.14 says it this way, humble yourself. Humble. You have to humble yourself. You have to lay down your pride and isn't that weird, by the way, that we're 
proud and arrogant before the throne of God when God sees and knows everything that we do, and yet we still like think we can hide from him. And like, I, I want to sugarcoat this a little bit. I want to package this a little bit. Like, it's God. You're talking to God. Just humble yourself. Pray and seek his face. And turn from your wicked ways. And if you do that, then God says, I will hear all the way from heaven. I will hear and forgive. That is just not very complicated, is it? That all you have to do is honestly, humbly go before the throne of God, submit yourself before him and he'll forgive. And yet we struggle with that still. It's crazy. Well, it's because of our stubbornness. It's because of our unrepentant heart that in that we we only store up for ourselves righteous judgment. We see this in in Romans 2, 5. And so the answer to that then is to, to understand what repentance is, that it's a process of changing, and then to do it. Not just to intellectually know it. All right, I know what it is. Cool. No, now you got to do it. You got to follow up on that. Actions. Well, finally, the fourth principle of the gospel of lordship is understanding carnal Christianity. What is that? Well, first of all, a lot of people don't believe in carnal Christianity. They don't believe in the idea of backsliding because believers, true believers, wouldn't be that carnal. True believers would never backslide at all. And you know what? Honestly, I, I, I don't necessarily really like labels and labels like that because they aren't necessarily entirely accurate or correct. But I think we all know what we're talking about. We're talking about when people that we are, are, are calling themselves Christians that we would recognize as Christians. We all think that they're, they're Christians. And yet we still see this sin in their life. And we ask ourselves, well, what's going on with that? You ask yourself, as you're honestly going before the throne of God, Lord, why am I still struggling with this? And it's confusing you about yourself. Well, 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, Paul tells the Corinthians that, um, that they're still fleshly and capable of bad behavior. And I say that because it should encourage you that, again, Christians will still have sin. Christians will still sin. And Paul recognizes that here's a a church here and they're still capable of bad behavior. We see in Galatians 6.1 that if you catch somebody caught in a trespass or sin, then you're supposed to approach them with gentleness. Well, the implication there is you will catch somebody in sin. And when you do, you are to approach them in gentleness and kindness, right? And I'm sure that we've all experienced a believer that is involved in a sinful act and we need to be gentle and kind. If you're a parent, this happens all the time. Yes, it does. And it does with all of us, right? Be married, be a parent. We all see that. Those are two softballs. Well, we see also in Matthew 18, we see a process for handling believer sin. When you see somebody in sin, and I'm not talking about guessing sin, I'm talking about real sin, 
clear sin, then you're to go to that person in private. Why? Matthew 18 says, to win them over. Galatians 6 1 says, to do it in gentleness. Why? Because we want them to repent. We want them to, to change. We're, we're not trying to, quote unquote, judge them or, or put our, our thumb on them or to discipline. We're trying to get them to do better. If they don't do that one-on-one in private, then you take somebody else again in private to deal with that. And then the final stage to that would be bringing this, this matter before the church. So again, this is, is, is a sin that is well-documented, well-known. All that to say, what does the Lordship say and, and how do we understand carnal Christianity? Jesus is Lord. He is King. He, he is the Master. There's nothing that we can say or do that changes that. The reality is, even as a saved Christian, we're going to struggle. We're, we're going to have struggle. We're going to have it, and, and so are others. And so recognize that, that there will be others around you that you know and love, and there's a way to process and deal with that. And it doesn't mean that they've completely rejected God. It just means that they're um, dealing with something. Now, here's the difference. This this shouldn't be a characterization of your life, right? This shouldn't be, again, well, that's just the way he is. He just, that's what he does. And so um, we just live with it. No, there's again, back to the repentance. So we're going to see more and more about this in the book of Galatians, especially in Galatians 5, when we talk about the difference between living in the, in the spirit versus living in the flesh. Um, but people who are born of God, people who are, are followers in first John three, nine, no one who's born of God practices sin. And when I think of that term, you have to think of a term like a doctor, right? A doctor, which is always one of the more interesting, uh, labels, but he's in a practice, He goes to to school longer than anybody, spends all this time at school and studying and training. And then he has like an internship and and he's still considered practicing, right? Well, it's that idea of continuous motion of growing and learning and applying his, his skill to this profession. Well, nobody who is of God knowingly practices sin. Does that make sense? Again, think about it like a doctor where you're, you're fully committed to a perpetual cycle of learning and growing. We're committed to a perpetual cycle of sinning and sinning, right? The same one over and over again. No, that's not how it works. Matthew 7, 16 through 20. We'll turn there real quick. Matthew 17, 16 through 20. It's a great picture. There's Matthew 7. Sorry. That's what I like about my Bible. It's all colored and highlighted. It's like, I can almost instantly tell when I was like, that's not the right one. So I can have it written down somewhere, but I can tell by my height. It's like, no, I'm in the wrong place. 
course, I don't always know then where to go, but at least I know that's not the right one. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets. Remember our context in Galatians, right? The context of Galatians is beware of false gospel, right? So this is this relates very well. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? You who practice lawlessness. And so we see that there, there will be some carnality in Christians, but the differences between one who is a, a practicer, one who who's continues in this lawless state, and one then who doesn't bear the fruit of Christianity. And so the straightforward truth of the gospel, which is what we see in, in Galatians 2, is that the free gift, the free gift of being justified by faith does come with us responding, with us having an obligation, with us owing our Lord, our Master, His proper due. And that comes in the way that we uh, understand how salvation works because of Him and not because of us, because we understand what Lordship is. And Lordship has not only that, that idea of authority, and being the master and the ruler over us, but it's all tied in with his loving care. And that we're called to repent. And we're called not to be in a state of carnal Christianity, but in a state of fruitfulness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you so much that in your plan, in your righteous, perfect plan, that it doesn't include us. Memorizing, it doesn't include us. Um, paying, it doesn't include us. Doing any kind of acts whatsoever uh, that would rely upon, upon us. Lord, we are, are sinful creatures and prone, as the hymn says, prone to wander. And so, Lord, we beg for your help in this process. And Lord, we're thankful to you for being a kind gracious, merciful Lord, one who seeks to save us, seeks to help us in our times of distress and in our, even our times of sinfulness as long as we humbly come before you and honestly confess and repent. It's in your name we pray. Amen.